Amen to that. <laughs> so the Gospel of Luke, where we find our passage for today, is known for many things. Luke, unlike Matthew or Mark or John, includes women in ways that they are often omitted from the other Gospels. They are named from the very beginning in the lineage of Jesus, along with the great patriarchs. They're also included in unique stories and parables within this gospel. This reflects one of Luke's major goals to include a more diverse audience. While John was writing for a group of mystics and Mark and Matthew for predominantly Jewish audiences, Luke considered Jesus' story one that is expansive. It is for all people, and especially for Gentiles who maybe didn't receive a welcome in other spaces. And so it is fitting that Luke also uniquely focuses on hospitality. This is a gospel where people are eating, where they're gathering and preparing and celebrating with one another. But Jesus's guest list looks a little different than yours or mine. The invitation, like the audience of this gospel, is more expansive. And I wonder today how we, too, are invited to be more expansive, not only within our own party planning, but also within ourselves and within our world. If only we accept the invitation that God is offering. A reading from the book of Luke. On one occasion, when Jesus is going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees, to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests cho chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock. You, O God, are our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> now I want you to all think about the best party that you ever attended. It can be anything. It could be 
a wedding or a birthday party. It could even be a simple dinner where friends or family were gathered around. And I want you to take a moment and really let that memory sink in. Who is there? What music was being played? What were the smells and the sounds? What were the feelings that you were experiencing? Were you snuggled cozy on couches with hot drinks in hand or at some large table where platters were being passed? I can imagine there was laughter and conversation. And I wonder what made it the best. What sets these tables, these living rooms, these dance halls apart in our memory? Probably not the physical space in and of itself. Probably those gathered at the table and maybe even the reason for your gathering. After worship, I hope to hear some of these stories about the best parties of your lives. Maybe you'll even share them with one another over a cup of coffee or at our brunch. Because these moments, these are holy moments. These times of coming together help us ourselves to come together. A piecing together of ourselves, these events are kind of like a Rorschach's blot. The stories that we tell about them are telling about us too. What is truly important within our lives, the things that make us who we are. And the same is true within our gospel passage for today. In the telling of this story, the author of Luke is telling us what is truly important, what invitations God extends and what invitations we are invited to extend to. And maybe even what invitations God is calling us to extend to ourselves. Now, not this weekend, but last weekend, my family, which consists of two 33-year-olds, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old, almost five months, we packed ourselves and our gargantuan double stroller into the car with Costco-sized amounts of diapers and patients to drive six hours to the Lutheran promised land of milk and honey, Minneapolis, Minnesota, where my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's wedding celebration was to take place. Now, like Many COVID couples, they were married at a courthouse, their nuptials happening in Davis, California, which ironically is in Yolo County. The importance of living life fully made more poignant in a pandemic, their marriage and affirmation of the preciousness of life in Yolo County, you only live once. But because of the pandemic, it was just them and a judge and all of us on our little blocked screens on Zoom. And so last weekend, we gathered under a big oak tree at Jenny's family's lake house, and we blessed them. And we promised to walk with them and nurture them and support them in their marriage together. And they spoke of their love for one another. And... There are always ands and buts that are scattered in sermons. And I'm curious, how many of you have ever taken small children to a wedding? 
Yeah. So for any of you who have either had that experience or seen that experience, <clears throat> you know how this feels and maybe how this story goes. Because at the end of last weekend, I have never been so exhausted. During the ceremony, my Lutheran pastor husband led the service and I felt a little bit like an octopus. I was holding our baby in one arm and then juggling the various needs of our two-year-old Eliza in the other arm. I was a sweaty and frizzy mess by the end of the ceremony and was grateful that Eliza could then roam free. We were constantly, though, making sure that she didn't toddle her way off of the family dock into the lake or disappear into the waist-high grass or seriously injure or maim herself in one of the various ways that toddlers can. Now, this may be an ungracious thought. <laughs> yes, pastors have those too. But if I'm honest, it would have been so much easier if the wedding invitation had not included our children. <laughs> we could have had drinks and blissfully danced the night away under the stars, reveling to our heart's content it would have been so much easier. But it would not have been better. I and the other guests would not have had the chance to laugh as our flower girl Eliza hummed her own ditty while walking down the aisle. <laughs> do, 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 do. How she knows here comes the bride, I don't know, but she did. And I and the other guests would have missed out on the unfiltered joy of Eliza and another little one running with pinwheels and their hands lifted to the sky, laughter trailing behind them in the summer breeze. I would have missed the chance to see my little one's budding extroversion as we made several rounds at the party of saying, good night, people, to which she finally said, mama, sleepy. And we got her into a bath, and we read her some books, and sang her some songs, and said our prayers. And I went to go lay her down, at which moment Eliza vehemently insisted, awake. And so I decided not to fight it, and I brought her back to the party in her mermaid pajamas, and she got out onto the dance floor and stretched her arms wide and exclaimed, hello, people. Our lives would have been easier if the invitation had not included Eliza and Joe. But our lives certainly wouldn't have been better. So what invitation does God extend? This is made pretty clear in the passage for today, which first starts with Jesus accepting what seems like an unlikely invitation from a Pharisee who invites him to dinner. This group, the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, the religious elite, are often seen as insidious. And here, maybe that title is appropriate, because we're told that they are watching Jesus closely, judging him. But Jesus chooses to accept this invitation, and while he seems to take an Emily Post-etiquette-like role, talking about table seatings at a dinner and inviting folks to humble themselves to sit in places not of honor so that they can be lifted up into places of honor. 
And Jesus goes on, though, to explain not only where folks should sit, but the, the invitation should be extended, the radical role reversal, to include all people. How we typically invite those who make us feel comfortable, those who help us to build a certain image of ourselves or even our own power or social capital. When God calls us to extend an invitation, God's call to us to extend an invitation is actually quite the opposite. God invites us to invite folks who make us feel uncomfortable, who challenge us, the ones who exhaust us, the ones that the world excludes. These are the folks that we are called to include. Because like my toddler and infant at the wedding, maybe it is through these people, these hard to love, these exhausting people, maybe it is through them that we truly get to see God's kingdom. God's kingdom here on earth. And making that happen isn't easy. But maybe if we make the effort, if we do the hard, uncomfortable, inconvenient thing, maybe it won't only change them, but it'll change us too. And so this comes to the second point for today. What is God's invitation for each of us? My first year at Divinity School, I was desperate to make friends. My daughter comes by her extroversion, honestly. See, I went, to a, I went straight from undergrad to Divinity School, and at Catawba College, where I was for undergrad, I had been loved and nurtured into the best and fullest version of myself. I had groups of friends from a variety of different places around campus. And Catawba is a beautifully small school where I knew most people and where I was known and where I belonged. But going from this tiny school to Yale in New Haven, Connecticut, I felt like a fish out of water. I was intimidated by some of my classmates and by all of my professors, and I was waiting for someone to discover that I didn't belong. And while academics felt impossible at times, I was determined to do the one thing I felt like I knew how to do well, which was make community. And so joining with Corinne Ellis, a daughter of this congregation who was at Divinity School the same time I was, the second week we were on campus, we created what would become family dinners, where once a week we would cook food for a couple of hours and people would gather. No one would have to talk about work, and we would enjoy one another's company. And this became an essential meal in these tiny apartments where there weren't enough chairs and where we ate on our laps and where we laughed late into the night. But we had no idea on this first dinner all that lay ahead of us. And so we nervously chopped and sauteed making vegetarian enchiladas. We worried about who would actually show up. And as folks poured into Corinne's apartment that night, we also worried if we had made enough as we pulled the enchiladas out of the oven and set them on the stove top. We walked out of the kitchen to hear an explosion behind us as the seemingly invincible Pyrex dish shattered and cheesy beanie goodness started to ooze down the front of her oven. For any of you who've cooked a large meal for people, maybe you've had this feeling, but I wanted to cry. <laughs> all that work this evening, these people here, I had this fear that it would all be ruined. 
A few folks actually even attempted to take plates that were gla had glass like ridden in the enchilada mixture. The mood of the evening seemed to have disappeared or maybe it too had exploded. And then from behind me, my now husband Dan's voice came and he said, let's just order pizza. <laughs> and so we did. And it was beautiful and it was different, but we were together. The enchiladas will explode in life. There will be an imperfect place setting or a seating chart. We might say the wrong thing or offend or disappoint people. We will not and we cannot do it perfectly. And maybe that's God's invitation to us, to do it anyway, to make room, to open our doors and our hearts, not to be like the Pharisees and Sadducees looking to judge, but to be like Jesus and show up, to allow for gentleness and grace and humor and joy to move in those spaces and to see the fruits that can be born there and the ways that it can change us. After all, that's what Jesus did. He loved and he accepted, he welcomed, he extended the invitation. And may we do the same for others and for ourselves too. Amen. Welcome to this place, you're in love. 
let us go forward from this place feeling God's invitation to feel God's love and grace move through us so that we too may extend that invitation to the world. Amen.